CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara communities through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2022 to help keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, as always, and as sometimes uh, rejoined by Matthew Fairburn. He covers the Sabres for The Athletic, which is still maybe taking some getting used to for both writer and reader. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us here, Matthew. I think this is, is this your first Tim Graham and friends appearance since you have uh, officially taken over the Sabres beat. We did it once with Jeff Glore uh, oh, over right. the summer. He and insisted we... on your presence. In fact, yes, we he said did. he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do the podcast unless you were on it too. Yeah. That's the value I bring. I, I bring added value in Jeff Glore, or maybe that's the only value I bring. Um, and we also, I think maybe did it right around when the whole thing was announced. But well, that one, I, yeah, that one stood out, but you hadn't really officially taken over the, I hadn't yet. started. I hadn't gotten my, my feet wet, so to speak. Well, at the very least, this is your first appearance since the Sabres have been playing meaningful games and uh, let's get right into that. Since you're the guest, um, I guess you're a guest. I mean, maybe we need to quibble on this as an old co-host. I guess you're just back in the saddle. You're just passing through You're are you a guest? Why don't we just call him an F and leave it at that? Yeah, I'm a capital F. That's true. Capital F. I like it. Well, as the returning capital F, uh, let's talk about the Sabres. Jonah's been out there, too. I'm the guy who'll just sit back and maybe listen. But uh, the Sabres, uh, I'll tell you, from a, uh, an observer uh, standpoint, have been fun to watch. They're relevant. Uh, they are keeping things interesting. Yes, two losses in a row after the hot start, but uh, the game against Montreal was nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, I'll open the floor to you gentlemen. Yeah, I think they have, outside of the game against Seattle, I think every game has been entertaining, competitive, high energy, the pace that Don Granado says he wants to play with. You know, they're... It's one of the interesting aspects for me getting used to covering hockey after covering the NFL is that every game is not some sort of referendum on, you know, what the season is, what the team is, what an individual player is. But at some point you do have to piece things together, right? And, and well, the odd thing, though, I've noticed, though, about Sabres Twitter maybe more than Bill's Twitter is every period, every shift is a referendum. It's a weird thing. Like people 100%. bail on the team in Twitter. And of course, when the game is over, like you say, it's not a referendum because there's 82 of these, but within those 60 minutes, 
it seems like Sabres fans go on the wildest of rides that you don't really see, at least when I'm watching Bill's Twitter on during a Bill's game. Am I wrong? Um, I don't really know. I have a I always have a really hard time gauging what is real and what is not on Twitter because you know how much of that of the fan base does that represent? Uh how much of the algorithm makes me see the craziest people on there? How many people are actually just on Twitter scrolling through, enjoying their day? Um, you're probably not enjoying your day if you're scrolling through Twitter, but um, at least I, I usually am not if that's what I'm doing. But I do notice there is some emotional scar tissue built up among these folks that uh, they are very quick. Like after that Seattle game, the, the embarrassment of people, the, of the effort. And I was sitting there, I went on half of that road trip. So I was in Edmonton and I was in Calgary team carried on to Vancouver and Seattle. And by that Tuesday night, that Seattle game, I was exhausted from the travel, from coming back, covering 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Eastern games. And that was a long road trip. A couple days off in between kind of killed their energy a little bit. I think kind of, uh, you know, killed the buzz of winning those games. So, yeah, I think you do have to take all that into account. Maybe there's a, a factor of this being an NFL town, it being such a Bills town that you want these swift actions taken all the time. It was interesting. I actually asked Don Granado today. I was, I was asking him about the power play because it hasn't been very good. And I asked him about, this idea of because he he keeps mentioning that if you look at the best power plays in the league they've all been together for like eight or nine years in some cases or at least multiple years you know four or five years some of the key guys on the power play have been together and so i you know just followed up asking about you know is that kind of teach you to not overreact you know you're you want to maybe change some things or change how even if it's schematic how you play the power play but you also recognize that continuity can probably be the biggest strength on the power play that you have. And he, he did, he mentioned, he said, there's probably 50 things I could change after last night's game if I wanted to, you know, but what, what kind of culture does that build? If I overreact and I'm changing things knee jerk on the fly all the time. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting to tie it back into the idea of what they're building and the, the culture and all that, that yes, maybe, uh, Maybe Casey Middlestat didn't play well, or maybe Victor Olofsson's off to a little bit of a slow start. But, you know, people are pretty quick to 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 knee-jerk and want to ship guys out or put them in the press box or cut them. Or, it may work that way sometimes in football, but even when I did that story at the beginning of the week, I did something on, like, five reasons the Sabres are off to a hot start and whether each one of them is sustainable – I did the math at that point. They'd played five games, divide that by 82. It's about one sixteenth. So about one football game they had played. And so you do have to kind of keep all that in perspective. I know I have to switching from covering the NFL for eight years and not trying to take every one of these games as life or death as they do in football. And I think there's probably some fans that, that have that same kind of visceral reaction to the game because they're used to every game being such a thing. And if you're going to go on Twitter, usually it's to complain about something or to have a forceful opinion. You don't yes. usually have reason takes that this is only one of 82 games. If, if that's your opinion, you probably don't tweet it. 
But do you think that I'm off on the comparison between Sabres Twitter and Bill's Twitter? Doesn't it seem as though Bill's Twitter, now of course the team is great, but it seems as though Bill's Twitter is a little more patient that in terms of let's see how this unfolds versus I'm done watching this team in the first period. I hate these guys. F them. Uh, they're not getting any more of my money. And I think, oh, my God, are they losing four to nothing? And you look and it's uh, one nothing. You know, the other team's got one goal. Uh, and then the, and the Sabres end up winning the game or something. But everybody seems to be so uh, just devastated when it's negative and then vice versa. I do think you see a lot of excitement of, you know, Donnie meatballs forever, you know, sign him up for life and uh, middle stat. Uh, he, uh, he's, he's the truth. You know, there were times last year. Um, there's just, just kind of strange. I think me. what, uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I think I, a, a dynamic that I notice is that Bill's Twitter is a bit more defensive of their team. And maybe that is why you see what you see a little bit more patience, a little because they're so used to getting piled on. Sabres Twitter is a bit they're very hardened by the last 11 years. So they they've had a lot to complain about, justifiably so. And they want to continue. That's to a complain. great point. The whole Bill's Mafia family or the Bill's Mafia that started up with, you know, Dell and, and Leslie and and. Bray and you know those guys it came from pushing back on people giving them too, so much shit you know they got they 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 uh, bowed up whereas Sabres fans don't really bow up they're like yeah it sucks and yeah like you got to be kind of a sicko to have watched like I don't know how many people there are out there that have watched all 82 games of all the drought era Sabres teams but they're out there I feel pretty confident saying those people are out there and you got to be uh, it does something to you. Um, if, if you have the combination of that and you're on Twitter, there's no tailgating like no. The, the bills at least had some charm. Even when they were losing, you could find a way to m- make your Sunday revolve around the bills game with a party, some tailgating, all it's that type of stuff. The Sabres, you don't it's go 16 games, right? Yeah. It's like so easy to be a football fan by comparison. It's on a Sunday afternoon. You got nothing else really go. I mean, you got other stuff going on. And back then it was one. always Sunday at 1 p.m. You didn't have right. to worry it's Sunday about afternoon. Start. Most people, if you work Monday through Friday, you're not working like it's convenient and easy to be a football fan. It's a part of why it's the most popular sport to be a hockey fan that watches all the time. That's watching on a Thursday night when they play Montreal. You know, there's a different level of of dedication there and there's a different level. Yeah. Like Jonah said, if you're on Twitter anyways, you're looking to fight. You're looking to spar. You're looking to you know, have a take, you're looking to probably complain about something, you know, the most popular accounts on Twitter aren't the ones necessarily that are uh, sunshines and rainbows. Unfortunately, it's it's having takes. It's even the positive ones, even the ones that are pandering to uh, the hometown fans are doing so by combating the takes of another person who's, you know, Colin Coward or whoever else. So, yeah, there's a there's a psychological uh, gumbo happening there where you've got cosmic gumbo, <laughs> yeah, cosmic gumbo of you know <laughs> of the people that are on Twitter and the people that are watching 82 hockey games. Um, but it is interesting. I made this point to a few people because you know a lot of people are like you know checking in like 
how do you like hockey versus football? And like, as I'm getting used to covering a hockey team, I'm looking at our other writers at the athletic and our other team pages to be like, what type of stuff are these people doing? And I'm just blown away by our Leafs coverage. I'm like, it is so it's a beast. Like we have so many writers up there and that they're covering every little thing. And I made the comment to somebody like the Leafs kind of cover are covered like an NFL team, like, and they're, they're consumed like an NFL team by the fans in Toronto. Like that is their team, right? That is the thing everybody's talking about every single day of every single year. Kind of like the bills are the thing everybody's talking about 365. So um, it varies from market to market. And I do imagine think the Yankees as, as, as big of an albatross as the Yankees are in sports. But if you were to remove two NFL teams from that market, the other major league baseball team from that market, one of the basketball teams from that market, one of the hockey teams from that market, that is Toronto's Yankees to the fourth power because there's not even other things to take away from it. There aren't even, there's no segment of uh, Mississauga uh, Bulldogs fans or whatever, or Mississauga, you know, I'm trying to think of a or St. Catharines even. There's no hockey, there's no other NHL team to take away that, like the Islanders to, or the Rangers. And the, everybody's, you can at least half it up a little bit or take a percentage. Or even uh, the Mets take away from the Yankees. Absolutely. A, a, a little bit at least. And so, yeah, it's, it is fascinating to see that. And like, because you see some of the little things that have happened to the Sabres, <clears throat> Jack Quinn sitting out a couple games, right? Um, Rasmus Asplund sits out last night. They have a couple injuries. Things that like, and, and Don Granato even mentioned the other day, he said that he talked to players about the rotation they have at forward and saying, you know, people want it to be a dramatic thing that Jack Quinn's sitting out or Peyton Krebs is sitting out. And like we told our guys, like we have too many healthy forwards. When everybody's healthy, that's just how it's going to be. And I kept thinking, like, I don't think anybody here has necessarily made it a dramatic thing, but I kept thinking, like, imagine if Jack Quinn, you know, if you plop this team in Toronto and Jack Quinn had to sit out a couple games, what the the reaction would be or Owen power, right? Not, not looking like a Norris caliber defenseman at 19 years old and the spotlight that would be on him in Toronto and uh, what it says about the guys that actually make it work there and, and play well there, the, the intensity of the pressure and, Maybe Buffalo has the potential to be that type of market when things are humming, but it's just not the type of metropolis that Toronto is in terms of the sheer numbers of, of people that are there. It's, it's one of the interesting things about hockey is that last night, yesterday, there were tons of Montreal reporters there. They have a strong group of media that travels. And, and then, you have to have your the the English speaking and the French speaking. Right. And then Florida was here a couple of weeks ago, a much better team than Montreal. And nobody was here, like literally nobody. And that's one of the weird things about hockey is it's like they're, you know, after the Sabres were in Edmonton, Carolina was there. There's nobody in Carolina um, or nobody from Carolina is up in Edmonton. So um, that creates an interesting dynamic coverage wise. It just the the wide range of what you'll get from team to team. You've got the Leafs on one end of the spectrum and you've got, you know, the Panthers and hurricanes. And so uh, it's an interesting league in that way. And I, I've, I've had a lot of fun here uh, last couple of months. Jonah, what's been your biggest takeaway from the Sabres after how many games is it now? Seven or eight, 
Seven games. Where were you? Seven games. What's been your biggest takeaway? Um, I don't have a biggest takeaway, I don't think. But I would say the biggest takeaway from last night's game in terms of the frustration from the fan base is I can see why Sabres fans would be frustrated in that six games into the season, they hadn't outshot an opponent. They tied for the shots in the opener and then got outshot in every game. They've been losing maybe the puck possession battle and night in and night out, but still winning. Then last night they get 45 shots on goal. They outshoot an opponent, I think by 11 or 12 shots and have the higher scoring chances and things like that and can't win. They get a fluky goal early on going in off on power skate and a little bit of a lucky goal against in the losing game. And if they had gotten to overtime and gotten a point out of that in a key divisional game, it would have been a much more palatable result than what they got out of maybe one of their better played games of the season. And I know they were unhappy, you know, Fairburn was there last night with some of the shot quality and not being able to get some of those lucky goals around the net but they dominated stretches of that game. Even on the power play, they, they scored one power play goal, but they had a lot of power play shots. So I don't know. I think um, the last two games, what you've seen is some of the, the reasons they were winning, the shooting percentage and the save percentage was not sustainable, and, and that's catching up to them a little bit. I think the two games were different. The road game, as Matt explained, in Seattle seemed like they were tired and ready for that, ready to come home, ready for that. It have been a three-game road trip instead of a four-game road trip. And then they played with some pretty good energy after the first few minutes last night, but didn't get their result. So uh, they're a competitive team. They're a confident team, but they're not a team that's going to win every game. It feels like the, uh, the luck flipped on them a little bit, right? Like they were, they maybe got a game or two that they shouldn't have early. Uh, and maybe that one they should have had, but it was kind of interesting going back and looking at all the, the fancy stats from the night and at five on five, the shot attempts and the expected goals. And it was all pretty even. And so there were a few stretches that made it appear and the shot count made it appear as if the Sabres had this big gap, but the, it felt like they just let them hang around and missed opportunities to put a team away. So my thought was, And this kind of goes back to the bigger picture hockey discussion is like it, it kind of depends how you viewed the team coming in, you know, and right now, you know, if you think they should be a team that easily takes care of a team like Montreal, then you're disappointed that they didn't. Clearly, they're not a team that's going to consistently put those teams away or consistently take advantage of those opportunities and finish scoring chances. They're not that team yet. But the funny thing about this team and how young they are is that they could be that team in a month that is doing that. They may not get to that point this year at all. They might get there in a couple of weeks. Uh, It's all a matter of how quickly these guys can progress. And I'm curious to know what NHL teams across the board, how they fare in the first home game back after a long road trip. And that is something that Lindy Ruff always used to talk about. And when I covered the team, you know, a hundred years ago, you couldn't just pull up a database, especially when it came to NHL stats and just pull this stuff up. Maybe it's easier to do now, but Lindy Ruff's belief was always that the first home game after a long road trip is just an extension of your road trip because you're still traveling for that game too. And yes, you're sleeping in your same bed and you're able to go home after the morning skate and 
have the meal that you want at your favorite restaurant or at home and get, and get your nap and whatever, watch your TV shows and see your family. Uh, but the fatigue and, and the travel aspect of it is that that's part of the road trip and you're just as exhausted for that first one back. And it's really the second one back uh, that is, uh, is be, you're finally back home. Yeah, I did they just look at last year, both times coming off the West Coast road trip, they lost the next game, but it was an overtime loss, four to three. So a better point result than what they were able to get this time. Yeah, yeah, they didn't get home from Seattle until about 4.30 on Wednesday afternoon. I thought they maybe would have flown through the night, but they decided to get a real night's sleep, which maybe makes uh, a little bit more sense. Um, and so... I think there's definitely something to that. The weird part about last night was that the energy wasn't the problem like it was on Tuesday. They got a pretty healthy skate in on Thursday morning. I know they Jonah looked pretty good there. on the penalty kill. They were actually getting yeah, shots they on had the some, penalty kill. They That's always a good juice. sign for your energy. I thought that perhaps the fatigue was there and not being super crisp and sharp finishing those chances is probably where the fatigue set in. Like they had the energy because they had that wake up call on Tuesday night. Like, Oh, we're not a team that can just mail it in. Um, or not that it, that even crossed their mind that they were mailing it in on Tuesday night. They were probably just zapped, you know, like, you know, they, they were riding high on the West coast and they get two days off and play Seattle on a Tuesday night and the legs aren't there. Like that's going to happen. So I'll be interested to see how they play against the Blackhawks because you know, now you could excuse the last game of a road trip or the first game home. And then at some point it's like, okay, you know, time to snap out of it and get some, get some points because after Chicago, it's Detroit and Pittsburgh and then, you know, Tampa coming up after that. And so you're starting to get into games where it's like, okay, these are games that maybe you shouldn't even be expected to win. And so, you know, tougher games, Chicago's playing pretty well. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, we're starting to get the bigger sample size. There, there was the buzz of the hot start and then it's like, things are evening out a little bit and they just have to figure out, you know, how to ride the wave. I think with all these young players, all these guys that haven't been through the grind of an NHL season playing big time roles. And I've noticed, you know, there's people that want to, and it's probably part of what we talked about with the, uh, the NFL NHL dynamic in this town is it's like, which version of the bills is this? Is this the 2019 bills? Is this the, you know, and you know, or is it the 2020 bills? And I think it might be, you know, first of all, I don't think you can do that. And second of all, I think it's like a combination because that's how hockey is. You know, it's a long season and your rebuilds are slower sometimes and especially the way that they're doing it. And so there are elements of the 2018 bills where it's like, you're putting some young players like Josh Allen in a spot where it's going to be difficult to succeed. And you'd hope that by the end, guys like Owen power and Jack Quinn and JJ Paterka are, I mean, JJ Paterka has already been terrific, but are starting to figure it out and you're identifying who the important players are. I think another key thing to bring and up and you've with, gotten rid of your nathan petermans and right. your uh your 
And I don't know who the Nathan, I don't know that there's a Nathan Peterman on the right. Sabres roster. Uh, I'm sure Sabres Twitter would give us six Nathan Petermans right now if we put that question out there. Um, you know, if, if this is the 2018 Bills, who is Nathan Peterman? I'm sure there would be an answer. Um, but they're also down two of their top four defensemen, right? Like that's a pretty big thing. Matias Samuelson, uh, I think war is starting to become a thing in hockey like it is in baseball. Uh these games are really helping Matias Samuelson's war because since he's gone down, life has been tough on the blue line for Buffalo and they're without Yogi Haru. And so you're putting even more guys that probably shouldn't be up there into spots that, uh, you know, Owen power playing, you know, he's not just playing at 19, he's playing like 25 minutes, you know, last night. It's so that part yeah he's being used like 32 year old alexi zhitnik you know right. like, like a war horse. just get out there and just <laughs> log those minutes him and Darlene are just like eating up minutes so i think it's all important to keep into perspective it's like at the beginning of the year most people said it's okay if they don't make the playoffs as long as they improve i think they're on track to do that so there's no need to panic after two games just like there was no need to raise a banner after uh you know, sweeping Alberta and British Columbia. Like you have, there is a, there's a middle ground in there somewhere. I think a few things are true about this Sabres team. Rasmus Dahlin has evolved into that dude. He is, uh, he's legit. He's who they drafted him to be. I'm not expecting any sort of drop off. He was the first one on the ice this morning, practicing the shot that he missed or didn't miss, but was stopped on in the closing seconds of last night's game. He is probably the future captain, I think. Um, I think there's a pretty, if I were a betting man, that that would be my bet. And so you've got that. I think they have solid, solid goaltending. I don't think they're going to be 950 save percentage goaltending like they were for, for a couple games there where Eric Comrie stole a couple. But I think they have really solid, dependable goaltending when both of those guys are healthy. Those are, are two really big things. And I think up front, there's flashes of really good things with J.J. Paterka, Jack Quinn. And the first line is probably underperforming expectation from a pure goal standpoint, but they are very much due to flip that. I mean, that goes... You know, obviously Alex Tuck, who wasn't on that line initially and then got bumped up, is having a fantastic season. But Tage Thompson and Skinner specifically uh, being pretty low on the goal totals after being the two leading scorers, they're they're due if the if the fancy stats are as telling as people inform me that they are. Matthew, what did you think of the pairing Power and Dalene last night? Uh, you know, how much did you, how closely did you watch that? And obviously it was injury necessitated, but is that something that maybe we'll see again? And should we want to see that again from these two number one overall picks? They already went away from it this morning at practice. And I think that is the, I think, I don't think we'll see them together very often. It was eventful. It was a, uh, a lot of offensive, <laughs> Things were happening and a lot of things were happening on the other end because you have two guys who like to carry the puck and mostly it was eventful because you have a 19 year old out there playing with a guy who likes to freewheel and is getting fantastic at doing it. Uh, Rasmus Dahlin. So I, Don Granado said today, he's, you know, they did it for offense. They did it to, you know, because those guys are both 
really good at, at moving the puck and carrying the puck. And it's an interesting thing to play around with, but I mean, the, the Dolly and Samuelson pairing is just so good when they're together. It's like such a perfect match and power. I think they're still figuring out, you know, what's the right player to put with power. And it hurts that the guy that they tried to, you know, you know, build that chemistry with, uh, has a fracture in his face and won't be playing for a couple of weeks, which is a, a very hockey sentence to, to say, uh, broken face, right? <laughs> like, um, upper body. And so I don't think that will be a consistent thing. They're going to try Casey Fitzgerald next with Owen power, which I think is a, an interesting match. Uh, I've liked the way Casey Fitzgerald has played and, the the power Darlene thing was interesting. It was that our Canadians writer brought up that it might have been the first time two number one overall picks were on the same defensive pair. But I think some Twitter folks dug up a pair in the early '90s or something uh, that were a couple number one overall picks. So interesting, eventful, fun to watch. But they want more balance. Was the way Don Granado put it. You want two guys that can carry offense spread throughout your lineup as opposed to stacked at the top. Do you think it was coincidental that for the first time all season, Darlene wasn't on the score sheet and power was on the ice and someone involved in allowing two of the goals? Maybe it was certainly Rasmus Darlene's from like the, you know, scoring chances on the ice for and uh, expected goals and shot attempts. It was, it was the worst game for Darlene. And I don't think that was necessarily a coincidence. It was also interesting from a timing standpoint that Rasmus Asplund was out of the lineup and he's, you know, their best defensive forward. He's terrific and kind of that shutdown guy. And Don Granado actually made the point today that when he went back and watched a lot of what was happening last night was because of some failures at the forward layer before things got to the defense. And so it just, when you have a, the way he explained it was when you have a player like Owen power who plays aggressive, who carries the puck, if there's failure around him, it's going to look worse for Owen power than a player who just sits back and stays home and plays conservative. The goals probably still happen to that player, but it's just not as obvious to, the person sitting on Twitter or watching the game to say, look, Owen power screwed up. Like, you know, there he is again, screwing up it. So I don't worry about Owen power very much um, at his age to be logging the minutes he is and to be in the role that he is. The only thing I think they have to pay attention to with him is mentally that he's okay. That like, it's not destroying his confidence to be out there. And I don't think it is because he's, he's pretty smart. He understands the game. He knows what's going on. Uh, is he's not, is he a lock to develop into a top two pair defenseman? No, but odds are pretty good with his, his skill level and his talent. And it's just a matter of helping him along, making sure that games don't destroy his confidence when you have to put him in really, really tough spots, which is going to be very, much the case over the next month because Yoki Haru and Samuelson aren't coming back, you know, at any point in the next couple of weeks, it sounds like. Let's switch over to the Buffalo Bills. 
They have a big game on Sunday night. Of course, every game is a big game when you're talking about the Super Bowl favorites. Uh, the Green Bay Packers come to Orchard Park to play on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it uh, even with Eric Wood earlier in the week. It, it was a sexy matchup when the schedule came out. Uh, doesn't look great now uh, because the Packers have been really poor, very disappointing, especially from an offensive standpoint. And they're going to be without Alan Lazard. Uh, he's been ruled out today. So Sammy Watkins quickly becoming the, uh, the straw that stirs the drink uh, for uh, for Aaron Rodgers in the passing game. Um, that's I don't know. Fitting, I'll just actually, open it up. Isn't it? Uh, I'm sorry. It's kind of fitting that Sammy Watkins is the star that, or the straw that stirs the drink for Aaron Rodgers because he's, uh, Aaron Rodgers has dipped into some, some, some funky stuff. <laughs> that's as right. Has, as has Sammy Watkins. So I, there might be a mind meld going on there. Did you guys read Sammy Watkins' quote this week where he basically said the Bills are still his favorite team, that they were his favorite team growing up, and he loved playing here, and he still roots for them? Yeah, he was uh, – what a weird oh. career he had in Buffalo. I did see that quote. Um, that I do remember that being his thing. He used to play with them on Madden and the whole deal. The Green Bay Packers have 14 offensive touchdowns. Uh, that's seven games, so we're looking at a, a – an anemic offense. Aaron Jones has been their best player. He has 432 rushing yards, but only one uh, rushing touchdown. He has three receiving touchdowns. Um, Rogers isn't running the ball. He's in the past, at least been somebody who can do things with his legs. He's not doing that at all. He has in fact, nine rushing attempts for nine yards. Um, I don't know. Um, Romeo Dubs uh, has the most targets. Uh, Alan Lazard, who's going to be out uh, on Sunday, is second uh, in targets. And then you go down to tight end Robert Tanyan. Uh, this, this is a, just a mess of an offense. And well, it's really shocking to, to think about when you have a multiple-time MVP um, four times this guy's been an MVP. Um, and I think each of the past two seasons, is that right? Yep. So it's just bizarre to me. And I think that the Bills should dominate in this game. Uh, and I think that what helps them keep that edge is the fact that it is Aaron Rodgers on the other side, it's that you should not take the Green Bay Packers when you see that logo and those colors on the field with you all the things that should be conjured up with every member of that Bills team because the Packers have been great for generations. No matter how old you are as an NFL player, whether you're a rookie or 35, you know the Packers as a great team, even going back to Favre and whatever. So I think that there is kind of a – the Packers are one of those teams that you, you probably won't be looking past. Uh, I don't think that uh, – and I don't think that – the Bills are worried about the Jets the next week either. So if they stay in the moment, as I would expect that they do, and Sean McDermott's teams generally have a have that knack of, of not looking past uh, the opponent, I, I think that the Bills can just totally destroy the Packers. I know that this is the first time Aaron Rodgers has been a double-digit underdog and uh, started out at 10.5 or 11. Uh, a lot of the money's coming in on the Bills. And uh, I could see Buffalo winning this game by 20. 
I think the Packers are going to cover. But what the issue appears to uh, well, you can't just say that and then just go on to another. Because I I just why why do you think think, they're going to cover? I think they're going to play well, and I think they're going to find themselves a little bit on offense. But maybe they won't, because what appears to be the case is that Aaron Rodgers is almost openly rebel. Well, neither one of us know what's going to happen. I expect the Packers. Jonah is to play just well. treating this like Twitter. He thinks the Packers are going to cover, and he's ready to fight anybody who says otherwise. I respect. But maybe they won't. I'm not ready to fight. But maybe they won't. I just don't think that in any. I don't think you can look at what teams did last week or the week before and add up all the numbers like it's Stratomatic and have that project to how the game's going to be played. I think that the Packers are going to play better than people are expecting them to, and the Bills seem like a juggernaut, but. You know, there will be games this season where the Bills don't perform up to expectations and don't play quite as well as the stats suggest they will. But the issue with the Packers appears to be that Aaron Rodgers is openly rebelling against the offense, doesn't think that they're running the offense the way he wants to and is not playing up to his MVP caliber. I don't think he got old that quickly as it seems right now. He just seems to be uncomfortable and unwilling to adapt to the offense and if him and Matt LaFleur can get on the same page, if they can either modify the offense to something he's more bought into, or if he mans up and just shows up and plays the game to win instead of proving a point to his coach or whatever he seems to be trying to do, then I think you can see the Packers being closer to the team we expected them to be at the beginning of the season. And maybe that happens another week or two down the line. And maybe that reaches a, a boiling point with the coach and the Aaron Rodgers. But I, I think that could happen this week and they could, turn things around here in Buffalo. Aaron Rodgers is on pace. Let me actually figure this out rather than just pull a number off the top of my head. Uh, Hang on one second. They did win three games in a row not long ago to to Jonah's point. Aaron Rodgers is on pace to rush for 22 yards this season. Now, that's we're not talking about this after three games. This is seven games. Uh, We're pretty close to the halfway point. He is on pace to rush for 22 yards. Now this is a guy who, of course you got to go back a few years, but used to rush for 300 plus and a bunch of touchdowns. Uh, He had three rushing to, he only had 101 rushing yards last year, but he had three touchdowns. He runs for first downs. This is a guy who will put his health on the line. Uh, 2018, 269 rushing yards, two touchdowns, 20 first downs. He has one rushing first down this year. It's like, he's just totally Remove that from his game. I don't know if that's indicative of, as Jonah was referencing, his indifference towards this offense or he's self-sabotaging or what have you. But um, especially uh, when you factor in over the course of his career, he was running when he had great receivers or he had guys to throw to, reliable receivers. Now things are breaking down in the offense and he's doing it less. Granted, they do have Jones in the backfield uh, to do some of that stuff. But when this guy passes, when he drops back to pass, he doesn't scramble with the, uh, with the mindset that he might be able to actually run past the line of scrimmage as opposed to just chucking it. Now that said, he also has 11 touchdowns, the three interceptions, a classic Aaron Rodgers touchdown to, to interception ratio. He's playing a clean game in terms of his passing he just doesn't have a lot of touchdowns. But, again, that running aspect of it is is interesting to me. He made the interesting comment after their game about, you know, maybe going into Buffalo is the best thing for them. And I couldn't tell if he was saying 
maybe it's the best thing for them in the sense that, hey, things aren't going well and maybe just getting thrown into a, a, an impossible situation is the best thing to wake us up and snap us out of it. Or if he was saying more to Jonah's point about the underlying conflict with the offense, if like, hey, maybe going up there and getting our ass kicked is the best thing that could happen to us because then we'll finally <laughs> change some things. Like uh, given Aaron Rodgers' proclivity for uh, saying thing, saying the uncomfortable thing to get what he wants, uh, he seems to to have a message every time he speaks. And it's been interesting that that has been the storyline out of Green Bay and all week when he's on the Pat McAfee show saying that it was his highest graded game of the year, according to the quarterbacks coach on Sunday when they laid an egg and that guys are making a lot of mistakes. And it's just sometimes you think, okay, there's so much chaos publicly and then they snap out of it quickly. Like Jonah's mentioning is very much possible that they just get on the same page. And we're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, but then you look around at a lot of these old quarterbacks in the league this year and you think, okay, maybe he's just done, you know, maybe he's cooked and they don't have a lot around him. You know, you're looking at Tom Brady, not playing that well, Matt Ryan, after a big commitment from the Colts, they're just pulling the plug. Russell Wilson is, desperately doing high knees in the aisle of the airplane to try to manufacture something uh, because he looks like a mess. And so it's like all at various stages, like Russell Wilson isn't that old, but he's more of the vintage of a, of a quarterback when we used to think quarterbacks might drop off. Tom Brady rewired everybody to think that quarterbacks can play into their forties. And some of these guys are falling fast and it looks like maybe Rodgers is closing in on that point and man did they ever you know make a commitment to him financially I mean you could say the same about the Bucks and Brady and the, the Broncos and Russell Wilson but it's uh it's underscoring that the Bills are appear to be I mean I'm not following the league as closely as I as I once did but they appear to be, if not the best team in football, one of two or three that you could argue. And they're doing it at a very good time because a lot of the league appears to be a mess. Like a lot of teams are having, uh, are having issues. A lot of teams that you would have thought were Super Bowl contenders, like the Packers. I don't think anybody would be putting money on them today unless they got a really good number. The Buccaneers, the Rams have had some issues. Uh, the Ravens have been very up and down. So another, another older quarterback who is having trouble, Matthew Stafford, right? He seems to be after Dan, a of a wall. Dan Orlovsky was, was certifying him as a hall of famer right after the super bowl win and, uh, not looking too swift this year as he gets sacked five times a game, seven times a game. I mean, a lot of these teams had little choice, but to make these big financial commitments to these guys. Right. And, you start to think like the gamble or the bet that Brandon Bean made when they extended Josh Allen is a much more sound bet to make. It's like, okay, we've established the baseline in 2020, right? Of what, even if this is the peak, that's a good bet to make before these numbers get too crazy, especially when the alternative is let's go get Matt Ryan. 
let's go try to ramrod Matthew Stafford into an otherwise good lineup and see if we can squeeze four years out of a guy that was destroyed in Detroit for the first decade of his career. Uh, you know, let's hope that somebody will hope that somebody will take all of our assets so that we can have the privilege of having Russell Wilson as our quarterback and handing let's him see a massive if we, extension. Right. Let's see if we can squeeze some magic out of Geno Smith. Which is actually looking like the it has best been one of the of best the... the best moves, the best quarterback transitions yeah, in the, the league has been going from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith. Yeah, both in the assets they were able to get, and they're getting better quarterback play. It's kind of wild, and it's like, is Russell was Russell Wilson the problem with that offense? Maybe, just like Joan is saying with the Packers, it's like maybe to an extent Aaron Rodgers is part of the problem in his potential insubordination or his you know his ego getting in the way thinking he can maybe he's still frustrated about some personnel moves what if we see jordan love on sunday i mean that it's a non-zero chance did you see that aaron Rodgers? i I think i saw somewhere you guys are probably following this more closely brought up uh kumaro when he was talking about oh for sure the bills it's like this guy can't give it up it's like he's got no weapons around him, apparently. I mean, you know, and it's all everybody else's fault. And it's uh, and he's begging for a guy that every time he's on the field, I have to look up how many catches he has. How many games has this guy played? It's like, is this his first? Like, what is he? Right. He would just be another one that he was complaining about if he was still on the team. Oh, he's making yeah. mistakes. He's, you know, guys aren't in the right spot or. I mean, is he any better than Alan Lazard? Like, I don't think so. Alan Lazard's playing fairly well. Uh I just find it the inner workings of the Green Bay Packers are pretty fascinating. He Aaron Rodgers is one of the five most interesting characters in pro football right now, I think. And probably one that like okay, so Josh Allen is probably I mean this is a guy that was flirting with being the host of Jeopardy. I right. I think he's you may bizarre. be top 5 in all of sports, not right. just he's, football. And it's, you know, you think of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, you know, these guys that have just been fixtures for so long at these weird junctures of their career. So I'm not trying to say that they're like more interesting to watch than Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen is phenomenal to watch. Uh, it's just, uh, but he's like, not talking about ayahuasca. He's, he's not very interesting, right? Until he straps it up and plays on Sunday, then it's very fun. But other than that, he's exactly what you want out of your franchise quarterback. He's pretty boring from Monday through Saturday, and then he's pretty terrific on Sunday uh, and very much not boring. Uh, and he's got a, he's developing a, a bit more of a fun personality, and I know people love him off the field. Josh but Allen Rogers is not is going bizarre. to leverage the $100,000 pyramid hosting duties to get a better contract out of the bills. No, he, he doesn't have the the complex emotional layers that – Aaron Rodgers has and that is a good thing for the Bills he does not yeah. have, he it's a good thing for any have, team I think for most does, teams like if if there's one player in the NFL that I would love to see love to read a well researched and sourced biography of it would be Aaron Rodgers because you know to peel back the truth of some of the stuff that has happened in his life on and off the field happened in the locker room with him and just he is a a complex creature and he has not come to Buffalo very often. I think that's kind of a, you know, Bill's fans are, are spoiled in that every week they're watching something uh, in their home, you know, stadium that 
you you feel fortunate as a fan when you get to witness a quarterback like Josh Allen. But the last it, time the Packers were here, I think, was the game in which a certain member of the media crowed uh, after the Bills beat the Packers that Doug Marone is going to be the NFL's coach of the year or should be. He yeah, deserved he, it. He, uh, I, Jim Schwartz probably should have been the uh, assistant of the year. He put on a, a show against Aaron Rodgers in that game. Uh, I, it's been so long that you could probably convince me that I was the one that said that about Doug Marone and I might believe you, but I don't, I don't think you, you were not, you were not. And I'm, I'm, and I know it was, it was ridiculous. It was, it was, uh, it was shouted down immediately. And, uh, but this person was quite proud of his take. Uh, and, uh, insider take. It was an ins. It was an insider move, really. Was it, it a was power like take? In, it was inside inform information. Um, the funny thing is, the person who made that take probably has no recollection of it. But Tim has, like, <laughs> you know, remembers well, what the air smelled because like. Because people it immediately were like, "What?" <laughs> Speaking of complex emotional layers, the Aaron Rodgers of of Buffalo media. Tim will be doing ayahuasca soon to <laughs> unpack the baggage. of. I, I'm not against it. I'll try anything once. <laughs> oh, man, that, would um, be a good, that would be a good show. Anything we want to, we, we've been at this for an hour. Um, what else do we want to get to? Anything else important about this Bills game we need to point out? Doesn't it feel like nothing is all that important about the Bills regular season these days? A very it's nihilistic like, take. Everybody is, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've had too much Aaron Rodgers talk, so now I'm getting real existential. But uh, like this team, they're is not going to run the table. No, they, but they, they're going to steamroll for the most part. They'll lose yeah. a couple games. It doesn't really matter which ones they lose. That's yeah. the point I was going to make, which is, I think, what you were getting at. If they were to lose to the Packers, people aren't going to be lining up on the Peace Bridge to to jump into the river. And they're not going to. You know, the number one seed is important. It's not essential. So that's the only thing you're really worried about if you're a Bills fan. And it just feels like the whole buildup is just get to the playoffs, right? And that's when the season starts. They've become that type of team. And they that, already hold the say, tiebreaker over every other first place team in the NFL. Yeah. So or actually, I mean, in the conference, I should say. They've beaten the Ravens, they've beaten the Titans, they've beaten the Chiefs. So it really gives them even a they don't even have to finish clear-cut first place. They they got the tiebreakers. It's not to say that people aren't going to be lathered up over this game. Sunday night football, Aaron Rodgers, oh, yeah. Packers. I mean, people are going to be all geared up for this one. It's going to There will and, be probably a a a production shortage in Western New York on Monday. Uh, there will be a lot of people unable to show up to work or to show up uh and and be fully useful well, uh, on the job on Monday. A real shame. And maybe we shouldn't play these games on these Sunday nights if that's going to ruin the production of the economy like that. That's right. It's fair. And if it's going to lead to more uh, street sign vandalism, not only Jonah has been very vocal about. (laughs) Not only are we pouring all this public money into these stadiums, they're sucking more of the money out of the economy because they're leading to unproductive workers. Because they've put together such a good product that it's taking place on, uh, prime time and uh with a good pro yeah you're just gonna have to if the the yeah it's it they're doing too much it's too much they're taking they, too much out of should, western new york they Wait, should how- switch the game to 8 20 a.m and 
you can right. make a choice. You can go to church or you can watch the bills. Uh, and then you can get to bed early and be a good productive member of society on Monday. That's right. The way, you know, the way your, your boss wants you to. I think people are, I don't know. You guys probably know better than me because I'm, I'm sucked into the Sabres Twitter verse now, but I feel like people are finding their rhythm with this bill season at the beginning of the year. They had the big boat parade. They had like, like people were really tripping over themselves, like ready to celebrate every little thing but i feel like people have settled into a they're coasting a little bit as a that's a great point that's a great point matthew because i think that when it comes to primetime games the you're can you've been conditioned as a bills fan to really load up on this this game whether it be the thursday night game at the rams the opener uh at you know tennis then you're playing on monday night against the titans then you got this primetime game or this big opponent by now, as a Bills fan, you've had enough hangover uh, and you've dealt with it on a weekly basis that you're probably realizing every week's going to be like this. I need to pace myself. I hope or even the Miami game. That. That's the game that. that everybody used to travel or normally travels to. Let's go to Miami to watch. That's our big road trip of the year. We're going to go do that. We're going to every game has had this this larger than life or lar- the bigger than usual feel to it that Bills fans are just. Their, their brain sets for, okay, it's Miami week. We're going to go full bore. Okay, it's a, it's a Monday night game, full bore. And it's like, wait a minute. We got too many of these. We can't just go full bore all the time. We're going to have to settle in. I, I think you're right. I hope people have made that adjustment. Uh, I, was, I was beating that drum on the, on the podcast with Joe at the beginning of the season. Like, pace yourself. They're, the game will be important in January. I promise this team is not going to miss the playoffs unless disaster strikes. And that's not something that you can really control with your, with your fandom and your, your angst, you know, the idea of like, it's okay. If you coast through some of these games, the team's not going to, you know, (laughs) you know, if, if you have, you know, only four Bud Lights instead of 14, it's going to be okay. Like, Josh Allen's still going to probably throw four touchdowns against the Packers. It's, it's all going to work out. And it, it's interesting to see how quick that can switch, right? Like you would have thought, because this is a team they haven't had in so long, but they had a good, really good team in 2020, a really good team in 2021. And it's not to say that people are, are numb to how good they are. I don't think that by any stretch, but they're settling into the new reality of, okay, this is how we do things now. We have to act a little bit like we've been there before. And they're still going to have a rowdy, crazy crowd every week. But they're also like, there was the big push at the beginning of the season. And now people have found their, their rhythm a little bit. And it'll, it'll reach a new crescendo in the, in the playoffs. It'll be. So this is the seventh game of the season, but it's already the third primetime game. And if you want to count the 430 game at Kansas City, it's the fourth out of seven national game. That was a national game. The country was watching it, the 430 start, that whole thing. I mean, these are and plus you factor in the Miami game, as I mentioned, which is always considered a big rivalry game, especially at Miami where people want to travel down there for. Yeah, this is this has been front loaded, big game field. Tough schedule. Tough schedule. And right. And now no, we're gonna it's gonna loosen up because you got the Jets, which yes better than expected. However, it just doesn't have that same sheen to it. Minnesota. Yes. Another good team, but it's the NFC North Cleveland, Detroit. And then 
it's not until December that it's at New England that you start to perk up again, but you still have Chicago on the schedule. There are a lot of games that uh, I think that the Bills, again, and it really it underscores the, the, the driver's seat that they're in with the division and also within the conference for that top seed is that those tougher games have, have kind of taken place by now. They're getting Green Bay, which, again, was considered to be a tough game when the schedule was released, getting Green Bay after a bye week. And then, again, as Jonah said, they're going to lose some games. They're, they're not just going to roll. But I, I, I think that this is the first place team in the, in the AFC when it's and all said and done. There's a danger that if the season's too easy, they could lose a bit of their edge or that it could affect some of the emotional readiness for the playoffs. I don't know if it'll cause losses, but I, I think you do want to see a little bit of adversity through the season and see the Bills solve some issues and maybe see some game plans that give them problems so they can figure out ways to combat that, that if they just walk their way into the AFC championship game in the end, that might not be the, the best path. Well, I think that that's where it's helpful that the Jets and Dolphins are, are better than we expected them to be. Um, I think that that keeps that edge going. You're not going to just think, you know, the Jets – People were thinking, what was their total, their betting total heading into the season, like four and a half or something like that. Um, they were supposed to be a dog meat team, and they're pretty good, and their defense is good. So Josh Allen's going to ha- – that's two games that they're going to have to get up for. Um, the, the Dolphins, again, they're, they're going to want to avenge that loss. You still have the, the Patriots coming up twice, and I, we don't need to get into what that rivalry has meant to Buffalo They play Cincinnati, the defending AFC champions, the second to last game. Cincinnati hasn't looked that great, but still there are. Yeah. So I think there are some edge edge worthy games in there, but yeah, it could unfold to the point that they are coasting the entire way. And it, and it does become an issue, especially with that buy. Yeah. There's, there's the give and take of that. The first week, you know, getting that first round by yes, you get a little healthier, but are you as battle ready? Uh, as you mentioned there, Jonah. I disagree with your guys' take, though, that the fans are putting things in the proper perspective and, and not getting too involved with the games. Because, I mean, they were just demanding the stadium refer- renderings day after day until they came out. There's all this well, hand-wringing think- over whether Tredavious White's going to play when the Bills have been, without really coming out and saying it, been pretty clear that they're going to take it slow and don't expect him to be out there on the field that soon. Well, I agree with you there, but I think what Matthew was saying is the the actual game day aspect of it, of the just the getting ready for the game itself. But you're right. It, every little thing is a big deal when it comes to Buffalo. And we're do, I think we're probably all guilty of it as I'm speaking as members of the media. Um, channel four, channel two, channel seven, any little thing that happens that's bills related, people are watching it. People love it. People love to see Josh Allen hurtling the street signs. People want us this mural or this fan, this fundraiser. And it's just the, you can't get enough bills content uh, on the air or in print these days uh, because everybody's just devouring it. Now, are they empty calories or are they, uh, you know, are they, is it, is it high cuisine? Uh, we could talk about that, but uh, there is an awful lot to consume. Including and also, well, and also in the sense that, I mean, yeah, there's always going to be a huge appetite for Bill's content, but not really worrying about whether the Bills are going to win or lose the game Sunday. It seems that the fans are finding different things to worry about. 
possible yeah, okay, right. stadium okay. issues that are not worried about the upper deck possibly falling, but more worried about what the new stadium is going to look like. Lee Zeldin commenting during the debate that they're going to reopen the, the stadium negotiations. Every Yeah, everybody's, you know, oh, my God, are we going to lose them now? Um, that, you're right. You're right. They're just other things to worry about. Maybe not the game. Uh, they have to, you have to worry about something. If you're a bills fan, again, you're conditioned and the team's too good. So you got to find something to channel your, your angst and the hockey team's not helping you out. They've been pretty good too. Um, guys, thanks for this. Uh, it'll be a fun weekend, uh, both with the Sabres and the bills, uh, Sabres against the Blackhawks Saturday night, the bills Sunday night against the Packers. Both of those games are here. Uh, and then uh, just to, we've been talking about UB football a lot on the podcast. So just to give an update there for people who are curious, UB at Ohio, that is in Athens on Tuesday night, uh, UB having won five in a row. Uh, Jonah, Matthew, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Any last thoughts? I got nothing. Okay. We covered it all. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to Tim Graham and friends with a great F back in the saddle brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants, capital F CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients based right here in Western New York. CTBK is a champion for your business in our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400. 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you.